0: Okay, so uh, Aaron, welcome to the John Corby Podcast. This
1: is episode eighty-one. Welcome, oh, 81. you eighty-one. You're, you're, yeah, that's, you that's a real <laughs> podcast at that point.
0: We, we, we there. We get getting there. Getting there. I mean, we're yeah, we're, yeah. So, so Aaron, so you're the you're the co-CEO of PredictableRevenue.com, a keynote speaker, an author of Predictable Revenue, and a dad of nine.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> you the way you sound you the way you you, you say the dad of nine is if that's a lot of kids or something
0: <laughs> uh yeah it is over I, here
1: i actually have gotten decent sleep the past year or so because our youngest child now is about to turn three yes but for a lot of years for the prior six years you, the sleep was really pretty rough i can imagine um so before we talk about sales and things but um I only got married eight years ago, almost nine years ago. So I've gone from zero to nine and going on 10 kids in pretty fast amount of time, mm-hmm. a lot through adoption. But we had babies. So my wife and I have had three babies together. We adopted a baby together. Mm-hmm. And so in those years, and, you know, John, you've been a parent. I don't know if you remember this, but, like, those baby years are just rough. Yeah. So, yeah, sleep has been... A lot. But a lot of the kids now are a bit older, uh, so last for the last year or so, I've actually gotten decent—not great, but better—sleep than before. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I still got to get up. Whatever whoever's up earliest with the little kids, that's when I get up. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, and, I, I mean, I, I've got two, as we just mentioned off off screen just then, and my young. I mean, the goal was we always wanted three. I don't know why three. Three was just the number until we had the second um <laughs> yeah she she didn't sleep for 18 months it was it was, oh, tough.
1: it was tough yeah it happens yeah of course isn't the wonder of parenting yeah of course wonder, uh, yeah yeah we wouldn't of. have any the 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 wonderful absolutely wonderful being so yep. now i will say and i write about this there's another book the last book i wrote was called with a guy named jason Limkin from mm-hmm. impossible to inevitable and then there actually one of the parts i wrote about was how having lots of kids was the best for me the best motivator to force myself to make a lot more money sure so while i didn't have kids to have money um it's probably one of the reasons i'm i make a lot more now than i used to yes. is because i have or the main reasons because i have kids yes. so it's not completely irrelevant like the way it's very related to my work in terms of the way I manage my time, my focus, make money. It's actually kind of a lot of, inter, a lot of crossover sure. that way. Sure. I mean, it makes total sense. It, makes,
0: it certainly does. And I think that, I mean, it was, it's Tony Robbins, isn't it, who says, you know, find something
1: that's greater than you and and you'll succeed. Yeah. I mean, no no parent wants to see their children starve, which is a bit dramatic way to say it because but, uh, but, but suffer from the lack of the right school or the right kind of house or space or food or whatever that is. Yeah. Of course, of course.
0: Wow. I mean, and, and then, so you're a speaker.
1: you have obviously a two-time author now. Yep. Um, and so one thing is, if you haven't, people haven't heard of me, the Predictable Revenue book is known as the Sales Bible of Silicon Valley. And a lot of the fastest-growing companies in the world, B2B companies in the world model their sales and things after that book. And the From Impossible to Inevitable book has been ranked the eighth best uh, startup book ever. So, um, and I'm still co-CEO of a company. Our company is 50 people going on 7 million in revenue this year, U.S. Mm-hmm. So I don't just teach and look. I, I also am a practitioner and sort of, um, mm-hmm. I work with clients and consult and assess and speak, but I, we also have a company that we run. So can, I feel like lots of, have lots of things, which is a way to, be exposed to lots of ways to learn and then kind of my real goal i love uh it's it can be painful and the creative process can be painful i think as anyone can know but i do really enjoy crystallizing ideas and ideally simple ones that anyone can um can use to make more money with their business to make more money in a more predictable way okay. that's really what we're talking about here of course. And,
0: and i mean you've got a track track record of doing so i mean like you helped Salesforce add a hundred million to the bottom line in the first few years. I mean, that's an incredible, and not just them. You went on to to do it for several companies, taking it into the billions.
1: Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of companies. There's a company called Acquia that was ended up being ranked the top uh, fastest growing private software company in North America a few years ago with our system. Mm-hmm. There's a company called Responses that went from not growing very much, twenty million in revenue, to growing very quickly and selling to Oracle for one and a half billion. And of course, there's lots of smaller companies that like those. Every so one of the thing, course, everyone always shares the most dramatic stories because they're the, the ones exciting. But like everyone else, I've had a lot of clients and people I've just worked with who had okay success or didn't. It didn't work out, and there's many factors for that. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's been the whole range, and I've worked with uh, small companies and global companies like Red Hat, or small ones like little startups um, in the U.S. or internationally, all over the place. So a lot of Variety to step and kind of think of, hmm, like what are really the most elemental principles for what makes a company grow, which was really the goal with myself and Jason. Jason Lemkin founded saster like the biggest community of SaaS founders on the planet. Mm-hmm. We want to really kind of create this growth Bible in the From Impossible to Inevitable book, which is, you know, if you're going to grow, like what are, you can, it's easy to have a thousand things you think you should do. Sure. But if you can only do a handful of things or one or two things, like what would those be? Uh-huh. That was the goal with that book. Sure, sure.
0: And, and I mean, you, you sound like, I mean, like you you like the Trillionaire Coach, aren't you, the
1: Bill Campbell of the Silicon Valley, by the sounds of it. You know, I guess time will tell. I just, <laughs> I think part of me does, there's like a, a part of me that's like a teacher. I, at heart, I, do, I am an author. Um, I think a lot of people are drawn to certain ways of creation. Mm. I think I'm more of an author. I've always loved books. Um, more of an author than anything else and yeah you could say entrepreneur and of course a parent but in a lot of the ways i'd say not so much a coach but more of an author at heart because okay. even a lot of the coaching or things i do i'm always thinking hmm how would this translate into like a next book yes yeah. kind of just the way some people are video some people are movies some people okay. just, i don't know i'm just more of a book person right. yeah so i mean like like how did you get started i mean how did you did you fall into this space did you was it purpose driven or Totally accidentally. So, uh, like like everyone else, like I didn't dream of, of growing up to be a salesperson or entrepreneur. Mm. I dreamed, you know, being a pilot or an astronaut. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't really until I was like late twenties that it even occurred to me that I wanted to start a company. Yeah. So I was just, you know, engineer. I did some. I did some other things, but uh, I had a. So I started a company and it failed. So we raised, you know, as millions of dollars, and it just didn't work out. And one of those lessons through that was, okay, um, I I had hired a VP of sales, but it didn't, he didn't, it didn't work out. Um, and when sales weren't working, I didn't know what was wrong or how to fix it because I didn't really have any background in selling. Sure. So I was flying blind. So like, if I'm gonna start a company again, I need to know how sales works, how to build a sales team, and create a sales system. So that's why I took the job at salesforce.com. I'd never ever had any interest in sales before. I'd done some selling, you know, as a I did like a college franchise um, business in college, paint, uh, sorry, painting franchise in college, college book painters. I did uh, um, an ad sales job. I never even thought of it as selling though. Like that word never, um, but once I had a company fail, I'm like okay, I need to know how to sell, build a sales team, and so going to Salesforce was really a way to get paid to learn. Yes. Even though, so I went from being a CEO of a venture funded company that, but then to the most junior level at a at Salesforce.com, which is basically now you call an SDR, um, an inbound SDR level. And uh, I just just wanted to learn. Sure. So that was the start, and I had no idea that I'd be any good at it. I was just trying to learn. Yeah. I had no idea where else to go, and again, there's a lot of times I just kind of wake up and like this, it just seems kind of weird that I'm, you know, have these sales and revenue you know, growth books and, and do this and get, you know, paid to come speak at conferences and so on.
2: Yeah.
1: So it was accidental, but I think one of those lessons, and this is where I probably started is that no matter who you are, whether you're a product person who lo- wants to build a product that people love, and they just come and buy it, which whether you, uh, no matter where you come from, sales is a life skill you have to learn sales, which you can kind of lump, let's call it just revenue creation, which would be kind of lead generation and selling, and there's other things related to that, but how to take whatever your idea is and make money with it in a systematic way. Like it's something you need to learn. True, sure. sure. I would say, Mother, I'm sure Mother Teresa probably had a whole system, or at least had the right people. Uh-huh. You don't wanna fly blind or be ignorant. Um, she was one of the best salespeople ever. Terms of, or you like know, just like JFK and Elon Musk. And yeah. I think uh, a lot of people have a negative, a lot of negative connotations and baggage with the word selling, I mean, yeah. the word marketing, and it's just not helpful I agree. to people being successful. I see it all the time, don't we? All
0: the time. I mean, they're, they're that hung up on it that they won't even put the word sales manager
1: or sales director on the business cards. They'll create some other title. Yeah. You know, which is fine. I mean, there's so many ways people, you can use the word sales or not, you know, client director, sales director, you know, whatever in by industry, it can vary. But I think from, uh, for most entrepreneurs, like I'm I'm newer to the UK scene, but I know in the United States, a lot of first time entrepreneurs, like they have a product idea and they're so passionate about oh, This idea is going to be great. We're going to create this software product or this, Physical product and people are just going to want to buy it. We'll put it on Kickstarter or we'll get some engineers and they create the product. And even if it's great, okay, they launch it and some people use it, some people don't. And it's impossible. Like people, uh, it's just they 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 have this faith that if they build it, the revenue will come. If they build it, the customers will come. And one there's enough stories where once in a while it does happen. There's like. the Dropbox or there's the Instagram, but 99.5% of the time, you need to learn how to hustle, to take that idea, no matter how amazing it is, and turn it into enough money that you can support yourself and your business with it. Of course,
0: of course, and, and, and I mean, in terms of the, the whole sales stigma, I think that, the, I don't know if this is the same in the States, but certainly over here in the UK, what, what a lot of people do is they will say that they've not got into business to be a salesperson. They've got into business because they wanna serve or they wanna offer their products and they don't realize that that is selling.
1: Yeah, and but the thing is what they don't realize, people don't realize is how much fear, they're, they're usually lying to themselves yeah. in the sense of people are often afraid of selling they're afraid of challenging people to think different. Um, you know, again, if you think about if you're really looking to serve people. You need to learn how to sell because there'll be some people, there'll be some people who just see what you do and they'll just want it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I mean, also, let's say that you're a mental health counselor. There'll be some people who are like, yes, I need help.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there'll be lots of people or families that need help, but they're not open to it. And and you need to, like, you know, if I could just help them understand they have that problem, I can help them. How do I, if I need to serve them, I need to know how to help them see that I can serve them and for them to be open to that, which you can call that selling. You can call that persuasion. You can call that, I don't know, there's whatever the label is. There's lots of people out there that, for you to serve them, you need to help them see that they need to be served. Let's just call that selling. Yeah. So what we don't need to do is ever lie, manipulate or cheat that you never have to do that. Yeah. So that's just, they're, they're not salespeople. They're, they're con artists, aren't they? Exactly. That's a much better way. That's much better way to describe it. And you don't have to do that, but what it does involve people need to get out of their comfort zone because a lot of people, ultimately tie a lot of self-worth to money, and there's also this fear of rejection. Now, even people in the sales profession suffer from fear of rejection, because mm. this is a human thing, and so that means they, they hold back from making that next phone call or sending the next email. They hold back from asking the, the question, oh, how's your budget looking? They kind have of uncomfortable questions that might need to be asked. Um, we all do at some level, so most of the resistance to, to selling from entrepreneurs who get newer to this idea uh, or newer to business comes from fear, avoidance yeah. of of embracing challenging other people and um of recognizing that you're worth like you're it's like this getting these these fears of self worth and rejection. And it's, and it's all learned behavior. Totally. So, I'd say that there's, I can't remember the name, but I know there's a lot of there's coaches in the United States that would say, um, in, we would call the woo woo, woo circles, right? Uh, spiritual coaches and yeah. would say like, sales can be a spiritual journey, can be, mm-hmm. as a way, now for not every, but it can be a way to really recognize your value and step up to ask for what you're worth and to learn how to have difficult conversations that are uncomfortable.
0: Of course of
1: course, so to let go of the, a lot of fear around um, difficult conversations and basically just valuing yourself do you, do, you so, find, anyway. do you do you find that there's a
0: certain way or a certain technique that that helps them come
1: to terms with it or make peace with that Well usually a lot of times it happens when people are at the and they have to make more money and they can't it's it's worse to sit in what they call debt or the stress of not having money. Mm -hmm. Then like that problem becomes bigger than the fear of embracing sales sales. So it's like, I have nothing else to do. I have to make more money. So I'm going to jump into selling or or whatever that fear of is around like putting on an event or, or raising my prices or asking for the deal. So I know for me, I had um, a lot of resistance. To it, uh, so ten years ago-ish, 2010. Um, you know, I was making like seventy-ish thousand dollars a year, working part time. I was experimenting with different things, kind of figuring out what did I want to do. I was single, and then I got married in 2011, and we had two kids. Um, my wife had two kids, so sort of dad of two right away. Then she got pregnant right away. I remember this moment. Like, oh shit! I need to make more money now because I have a family. Yeah. And more regular money. So I had to do it. I couldn't procrastinate. Whatever kind of fears and concerns, I couldn't procrastinate anymore. I couldn't sort of hold back. I really had to go for it. Uh, and that's probably a longer discussion on like the different ways I held back. But I kind of really focused and nailed my niche in doing outbound prospecting, outbound selling, helping companies build outbound teams. And sure. you know, found a partner and published the first book, and just kind of embraced this opportunity that I. would um i hadn't put on i put on a back burner so one side note was you know when i left Salesforce, i was like i don't want to do with sales consulting anymore i'm kind of bored of it i don't want to do it don't want any prospecting Ugh. and i worked on some, I, some other projects that were more like passion based or interest based one called unique genius to help people make money to enjoyment and then one called ceo flow that turn your employees into mini ceos which really interesting yeah. um, i said and I probably could have made money with them, um, you know. It's kind of like testing things out. I wasn't really jumping in, so it was more like dabbling. I, I did a book, and but ultimately, when I had to make more money, I went back to my key niche, where I had the most expertise, the most credibility. It was like the easiest place for people to justify spending money, because I would make them money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's for got over gun oh, There's a whole bunch of these fears and, and concerns to just triple down on outbound prospecting. So I just see a lot of this in other people when they hesitate to like pick that specialty or raise their prices or ask for the sale. Sure. And how again, but it's so important. If you want to be successful at anything in, in life, whether you want to start a nonprofit or get a promotion or a sales job or be an entrepreneur, you need to know how to sell yourself a product or an idea. Of course. Well, you don't so have to be a master. but You need to learn to at least level
0: up yes yeah what what would you say were what what, like prior to the children being the driving force for you i mean what what would you say was the challenges that were stopping you was it that you didn't want to be rejected was it that you were scared of looking desperate was it that you didn't believe the product
1: um it's probably uh, a lot of those some level of all those um also wasn't exactly sure what i wanted to do sure Right, so there's this, we have this great opportunity for people who are entrepreneurs where they can kind of do anything. <laughs> and it's this great challenge, which is you can't do anything. Yeah. Right, so I had this predictable revenue. Um, I had this unique genius, CEO flow. And then, like, was I going to do events or coaching or, like, it was just like, what do I do? Of course. So, again, the great thing about getting married and having kids was there's this forcing function which I should write about in the impossible book is the, the thing that really motivates me and forces, basically it's a way for me to manufacture as much motivation as, as I need to accomplish things. It forced me to focus on what would make me the most money and the best way to support the family. Mm. So it kind of forced me to cut through all the clutter around all the possibilities to be like, this is what I got to do. And yep. I did it. Yep. That's
0: fascinating. So, so what would, what would a company need to do to, tag on hundred million to the bottom line? What is the way to get that predictable revenue?
1: Well, actually I'd say for, for B2B companies, right? Companies are salespeople typically. Um, the, the thing that is standard now in hyper growth companies, which most companies though don't do, is you gotta specialize your salespeople. That's really step one. Well, there's two, one is nail in niche. But that's a little trickier sometimes. So I think the most concrete, simplest is to specialize your salespeople. Okay. Right. Too many sales teams. They still treat their. It's almost like if you were a coach of a football team, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, all everybody here on the team, everybody attack and everybody defend. Right. Everyone do everything. Yeah.
0: Well, okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's what we do with sales. going oh, to my children. Sure, Pari. This is I thought I was hiding, but, yeah. but now they they found me. Found you. <laughs> yeah. So what basically what most our, our, our history of sales teams has been salespeople need to do everything. They need to prospect and close and manage customers. Sure. Right. So they become not they do a little bit of everything okay. And you just can't be great doing everything. Of course so the way to do it is like sports teams specialize where you have attackers and you've got defenders and so on so prospectors who prospect closers who close that Mm -hmm. is the way so that's step one i think that's easier just because it's more concrete sure you can like layer on or add on an outbound prospecting team or an account management team or an inbound uh, kind of the lead response team, which is often called inbound SGRs, mm-hmm. sales development reps, or lead development reps. So there's these four core roles, prospecting prospectors who do outbound appointment setting, uh, inbound sort of lead responders, if you have inbound leads for marketing, closers yep. and account management. Yep. That's step one. If you don't do that, you're going to struggle. Yep. So step two is nailing a niche. In this case, uh, and if you don't have salespeople, obviously you can skip step one, but step two, nail a niche. Now, most companies that struggle to grow are struggling because they're not ready to grow. Mm, I like that. That's really good. It's like, we want to grow. Like, why aren't we growing? Well, are you ready? So in this case, what we mean is um, that For most companies, and let's say companies that are a few hundred thousand to a few million in revenue, most of that revenue has usually come from word of mouth and customer referrals, and it's constantly like easier lead sources, right? And then you tend to plateau before you get by the time you get to like five or ten million in revenue. Could be less than that. It's pretty rare for companies to, you know, get more to more than ten million just based on word of mouth and like organic sources. Yeah. Yeah. And it means a lot of your leads or a lot of your sales have come uh, with this advantage because there's trust in it, like from referrals or customer re- referrals or because they know your brand or those relationships. But when that plateaus, you need to do some outbound lead generation, whether it's outbound selling or outbound marketing. And you're reaching out to new audiences that haven't heard of you. It's much more challenging. So it can take months to a couple years for companies to kind of figure out how do we fish beyond our pond how do we get to new markets and kind of engage people that haven't heard of us and have them buy from us if they haven't heard of us heard of us they call it nailing a niche so one here's a clue that you haven't nailed a niche which would be for example you spent a bunch of money on online advertising and didn't make any money back or you've hired salespeople and they didn't work out so basically paid growth. In sales or marketing, it really won't work work very well until you've nailed the niche. Oh yeah. So I say the one tip there to start with would be taking hey, which customers have been the best for you? Right, they bought the fastest, easiest to, and they wanted you the most and paid you the most money and were the best to work with. Like when did people need you? Mm-hmm. And how are they different than the other customers when you were a nice-to-have, right? They considered you but didn't buy, or they were just a struggle in terms of the sales process or after the sale, right? You were a nice-to-have. When are you a need-to-have versus when are you are a nice-to-have and how do you discern those two things? Yes. Really, really focus on, when, on the situations where you're a need-to-have. Mm. That's step one. That makes sense. That makes total sense. So, I mean, like, in terms of reaching beyond their
0: pond, then, I mean, are, are they are they using funnels? Are they doing you know, email marketing, social media, paid ad? I mean, is it just a call cold calling? Is it all of the above?
1: It can be all of the above. I mean, sort of I and our business specializes in outbound selling, which would be cold calls, cold emails. It could be LinkedIn, yeah. uh, even direct mail, Instagram. It's basically, so there's this... Uh, this Idea that a lot of people love around these diff- three types of leads. You know, we call it seeds, nets, and spears. Seeds would be word of mouth. So, seeds, so, yep. seeds nets, yep. and spears. Okay. So, seeds would be word of mouth, right? It's so all your customer referrals, friends, referrals from your investors, your mm-hmm. relationships. Those are going to be the best leads, but they're hard to grow. It's not like you could say, we're going to triple our word of mouth leads next year. It Just doesn't doesn't work that way. Uh, nets would be marketing, right? There's casting a wide net, you know, one to many. That could be, peep, you know, pay per click. It could be events. It could be lots of things. Spears is outbound prospecting, right? So then you ha- typically have, usually you have a targeted list of some kind. Yep. And there's a human who's kind of who's reaching out to that list in some way, Again, through email, calls, knocking on doors. Um, it's a much more targeted approach, like a spear. And they all three types of leads are great. They have their different pros and cons, right? So marketing is great because you can get a lot of leads. The problem is often you might get a lot of leads that aren't a good fit. Yes. Or with outbound prospecting, you usually can get great, higher high quality leads, fewer but better, bigger deal sizes, um, kind of call people who aren't calling you. Uh, it's not a great fit for every business sure. like a lot of consulting companies or services companies it's harder uh, to, to make it work with a kind of a, a services business where it's a little more vague without some extra work so I think depending on the business where you typically start is because there's a million ways you can sort of market yourself or where you're going to generate leads social media app you know. It's first look at what have you done in the last few months that's really been the most productive in terms of generating leads, mm-hmm. and can you somehow do more of that first, like double, triple that. Yeah. Um, you know, on a, on a board of a company called Visualize RY, and he said, here's, these, our 10 market, here's our 10 marketing things we wanna do. And ultimately, we pared it down to two of them. So they'd been making some money with Google AdWords, so like, well, yeah, double that. Yeah because they still can at some point that you, you plateau and you can't make more money with, but they could do more with that. And they'd already committed to, to doing some sponsoring, some trade shows. So great. Do that. And kind of everything else put on hold. Yeah. And just focus on doing those couple things really, really well and not trying to do 10 different things. kind of. I would say. Sure. Sure. So I think generally, like, what are you already doing? Well, what are you good at or what do you want to be? good at mm. so if you if you're not generating leads yet if you're if you really feel like you're drawn to writing and creating content like start there if you really have a passion or like something um, get you excited about outbound prospecting that could be it you don't want to do things just because you want to check the box because every anything you do will take so much work to make successful you got to pick something you've got some kind of energy and th- or enthusiasm for of course do you do you
0: feel that there's been too much of a big push about creating content, which
1: stops them from doing other important activities? Um, well, the thing with content is, you know, it's a busy world. And 10 or 15 years ago, you could, you know, just put up a blog post and, um, like, it was a lot easier to get traction content when there was a lot less content. You so I know we interviewed the, uh, one of the founders of Marketo, this guy named John Miller, like he helped create the inbound marketing movement. Yes. And he said, and this is we interviewed him for the Impossible to Inevitable book. And in this section in the book, he said, um, you know, when he was at Marketo, right, Marketo was a billion-dollar something company mm-hmm. uh, at this point, point. and I can't remember. I think Adobe, Adobe bought them or bought, someone big bought them. You know, he could put up a blog post, and within a day, like rank on the first page of google for whatever keywords you wanted and now he started another company called engageo it's an account-based marketing company he said he's been trying to get on the first page of google for some of these keywords for like three years and he still can't get up there (laughs) Uh, so like anything else you just can't anything you do really you just can't expect it to pay off quickly sure you have to be prepared for uh, a longer haul of six months to eighteen months, potentially, yeah, whether it's inbound content marketing, whether it's outbound, mm-hmm. to not only, okay, let's say you, you're doing content to figure out how you want to do it and like what people resonate and to get the word out and find the distribution. it just takes it's, it's, time. it's so slow. much more than people realize sure sl- and there's a there's a slog, there's a journey component to it. Of course. and but then once you invest in long enough and start to take off then you can just like keep it going so yeah. like a lot of things people quit too soon and they try to do too many things yeah so i mean like you just just winding
0: back a little bit when you said you you first got into business for yourself you raised a bunch of cash yep. to get started i mean would and, and and obviously tagging that onto what we're talking about now how things are slow and it takes time would you advise most businesses
1: to consider raising capital um, like everything else, I think it's a personal decision. What I would not do is raise money just because you think you need to raise money to start a business. Yes. Like that's not a good reason to raise money. Yeah. Raising money can be difficult. Um, it can be intensive, time intensive. Mm-hmm. When you raise money, it can be helpful if you know what to do with it. It can be hurtful if you're not sure what to do with it and you can waste it. Yeah. So like anything else, whether you want to build a software product or raise money, like kind of know what do you want to, why are you doing it? What are you trying to accomplish with it? sure sure um i have not that was the only time well, okay that was the only time i raised venture money we raised three million and ultimately five for that company and you know went out of business within a couple of years and after that i was like well i just want to bootstrap and i realized i don't need to raise money so i was like oh, i'll just start my any business i start i'll just start with less than a hundred dollars right so the money i've um put into PredictableRevenue.com, really started with less than $100, and I didn't raise any money for that. Now, I have a partner, at some point when we were doing probably like a million or two in revenue, we got some venture debt, more of like a debt line, like a credit line at a bank. Um, we haven't sold any equity. So for people who do raise money, like, it can be great. I can yeah. just know what, what do you want to do with it, and also know the cost. There's always a price to pay for it. Of course, of course.
0: So I mean that's 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 useful for people to know. And I think you're right. It's like it's it's easier for people to because money is easy these days. It's a lot easier to raise than than I think it's ever been.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: never easy. Uh, but you're right. Like it's what they use the money for. Whether they just flutter it away or use it productively is the real challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, and
1: knowing and kind of be prepared to make it last a lot longer. Like you might need two years if you're doing a software company. You probably need a couple of years before you have working on that company before you know if it's going to be something or not. Of course. Yeah, it makes sense. So,
0: so you, you said the, the, the three things you talked about the, you said, the, specialize your sales team. So get them focused specialize on your sales team. Yeah. Identify your niche.
1: And what was the third? And it's, it's be select, be smart and selective about the way that you want to generate leads to grow your business. Okay. So whether it's kind of how to somehow try to enhance your relationship-based leads or using marketing, whether it's content marketing or this forms of marketing or outbound prospecting, kind of be intentional about um, how are you going to generate leads because it's really, that's what drives growth for most businesses is it's leads. It's leads like you can be- have a great sales product, a great product, great sales process and people, but if you don't have a way to generate new leads in a predictable way, you're going to struggle. Hmm. So that's what's going to drive your growth. It's a big lever, lead generation like that. You get a lot of things wrong, but if you have a way to generate predictable leads, you're going to do okay. What What do you find is a good way of that? Is it industry dependent or like? Is it-, it is. Uh, I mean, I was, I'm partial to outbound prospecting because that's the system I created yeah. at Salesforce.com and for other companies. Mm-hmm. I re- it has its limitations. So I would say, for example, for services companies, consultants and most services companies using a content-based approach is probably the best thing where you're um, kind of doing personality-based marketing or expertise-based marketing. Mm-hmm. So that's what ironically I did when I published a book. So for services, businesses, I would tend to start there highlighting your personality expertise in whatever format that is. A great format is live events. Okay. 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 Um, I think with all the digital, everything, people still love getting together with other people. Agreed.
2: Okay.
1: For product businesses, like software SaaS, B2B SaaS businesses like Outbound is just still incredibly effective. Sure. So ultimately, you the business, as you grow, you end up doing everything. You have content marketing, inbound marketing, outbound prospecting, mm-hmm. customer relationship, uh, sort of customer success management. But when you're growing, you wanna sort of pick something that you can really triple down on and just work to be great at without spreading your energy too thin. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think
0: that, I mean, what you were saying early on about cutting the cutting the fat, you know, like you stop focusing on 10 things to do and focus on the two things and double down on them. I think that, I mean, the the old, I don't know if it's the same over there. I imagine it's not just exclusive to the UK, but one of the sayings is that you've got to stop, start, continue. Do you know, do you need to doing it? Do I haven't heard that, actually. No, so it's, yeah, do you need to stop doing that? Do you need to start doing that? Or do you need to continue
1: doing that? Yeah, yep, it makes sense. Yep, it's really easy to come up with things that we should be doing. Sure. And uh, have too much on our plate. Yeah. So.
0: So, so, like, in terms of these companies, then, I mean, how would, you, how would you say is the
1: best way for them to structure the days or the weeks? Or for who in the company? like Salespeople or entrepreneurs? or yeah,
0: for, the, for the salesperson or maybe the entrepreneur. Yeah.
1: Well, for salespeople, you know, again, it's interesting because uh, for outbound prospectors, right? Again, if you are a B two B company with a, and you sell some sort of deal size or customers worth, let's say at least 20,000 pounds or dollars, mm-hmm. you should really you should have outbound prospectors, uh-huh. and they can have a very structured, predictable day because that role is it's almost like a template across so there's so much. Like It's never copy paste, but there's so much templatization of that role across. So, generally, like that role in the morning, they would respond, you know, deal with their uh responses, email responses, social media responses from the night before, and then spend some time calling, and then do some scheduled calls, and then kind of prepare for the next day. Yes. But for salespeople, so I think so here's the thing salespeople and closers, and of course, you've got enterprise, you got there's so many types, but everybody has this problem of dealing with overwhelm too many applications to use too many responsibilities too many tasks so i think it's really important especially for salespeople, where they have more generally have a more open-ended day like what am i going to do yeah think about like what's a day in your life for you like when have you been when have you felt more productive right a day in the life and also a week in your life because sometimes like a certain uh Mondays might be more like preparation, like list building or going through your customer database to kind of like pick out your targets or who you're gonna follow up on or reach out to. Pretty common. Sure. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday tend to be heavier with activities. Mm-hmm. Fridays. So just kind of being insightful about what works for you. But I think for salespeople, um, really working on being focused on which customers have been the most excited and likely to buy in the past, which ones have just have have trouble like how which customers tend to have trouble deciding right Mm -hmm. because ultimately you're really your job you're helping a customer make a decision of course that's what you're doing you're really helping them because most customers are going to be indecisive so how can you be uh, kind of help sell them on the way best way for them to improve their business and part of that is spending time and becoming an expert in that space so that you know more about their business than they do. The, here's the thing that you don't realize as a salesperson, I take for granted. Because you're selling to and ideally learning from a whole bunch of different clients, you actually, you're actually in a much better place to see the patterns and issues across this industry mm-hmm. that people suffer from. So that when you're talking to one person, like you have a perspective about that industry that they don't have because they're just in their one job doing that one thing. Mm. So when you spend some time really kind of crystallizing all the things you're learning from talking to all these different types of customers, then wow, you with time will be again more of an expert than your clients are. And if you have that confidence in a way to uh, kind of create a better way for them to make decisions, you will see more sales. Mm. Mm, Perfect. Yeah, really is. Um, and, and what
0: about like as, so someone like yourself, who's running the ship as the entrepreneur, who's, you know, they're growing the business. How much time do you still spend on the sales activity compared to strategic
1: and, and planning? Um, sure. I'm a bit of a weird bird, right? I've got a huge family and for a long time, I've had this thing, like I'm gonna work like 25 hours a week. Hmm. Because at least for me personally, when I worked more than that, I would get more things done that week, but I I, real, I just lost, had this busyness and I just lost my, I would say bigger ideas, more intuitive ideas. So for me, that works. And some weeks I work more than that, if I travel for work and things, and some weeks it's less. Um, so I think for me, my calendar runs, so what I do typically, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen because any kind of free time will get sucked, eaten up by children, in a good way. Yes. So it's like you just be very intentional about what you need, what's important to accomplish, what's important to you, because like anything else, free time on a calendar will just get sucked up by whatever you mm-hmm. want, whatever is around. It's like a black hole. So I don't if I, if I don't put exercise on the calendar, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. How, how so do you do
0: something? how do you determine what's real value activity compared to just stuff
1: that is nice and fuzzy? You know, it's, it's either intuition or experience. Uh, right. So, and there's some things you just can't get away from my email. just irritates me and just feel like ugh, I'm just wasting my time. I yeah. just, and I don't even get that much email really, but it's just, but you know, I don't know. So, like for me, things I put on my calendar, there are things like uh, date night with my wife when we can. Yeah. Um, Weekly, things like exercise. There's certain work things that are important that need to get done. Just connecting with people. I'm remote. I mean, we got a couple dozen people in Canada, a couple dozen in Mexico. I'm the only remote person, really, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just... One thing I haven't gotten to do very well is to having like blocked out time to create things and content. Yeah. And so getting towards, I might do that again. Um, the way I typically do that nowadays isn't sitting down and having like time to write, it's sort of committing to doing an event with someone. Yeah. Like last night I had committed to doing a webinar with someone on this topic from, going from employee to entrepreneur. Now I had really, done much in terms of preparation but by committing to do the event i had to think about what was i going to say uh that's something i haven't done I, I have struggled with for quite a while it's like sort of i call it me time just okay. time where i could just be by myself and do what i need to do for myself uh and i haven't really solved that i still struggle with that hmm. because it seems like whenever we get a system then school then school starts and everything goes into the shitter or school stops or we move country I mean it's just it's whatever when I get something working and then it gets thrown away so um you just got to get things on the counter that are the most important things and I think family like my wife family partners and kind of me time or some of those and there's just a lot of other like you know just like so much stuff that needs to happen that this just doesn't every little thing doesn't feel important like paid bills and email but they don't do it, it just piles up such a pain in the ass. I don't have a good solution for that.
0: Sure,
1: sure. Do you, do
0: you, do you outsource or is it all internal? Do you, do you high outsource like freelancers?
1: Um, we don't do that as much. Uh, I will say that uh, a lot of my marketing outreach, we have a team. So a lot of our business, we build remote sales teams for, so we build outbound sales teams. Hmm. Most of our business is building remote teams and managing them for, uh, companies okay. who, are, who are prospecting and selling into the United States North mm. America. Yes. So we'll hire us hire prospectors. It's really just for prospectors, not social sure. people. We'll hire prospectors, train them, manage them. Um, and so with that team, there's some people on the marketing team who basically do prospecting. So a lot of that for me is kind of delegated, Where they'll reach out to conferences and podcasts about, you know, me speaking or doing podcasts so for me even though it's kind of like outsourcing but still in the company we don't do a lot of freelancing outside the company okay. a little bit here and there but yeah is it it's great that, when it works i've used it in the past well, that's, like that's the, books. that was the next question right there is like how did you find it and did it work uh well like it worked really well when i published like i self-published predictable revenue right and i found a bunch of freelancers on upwork now i think it's mm-hmm. called yes um someone to format the book uh, i found an editor to kind of go through stuff someone to help with graphics so that was great for that for like book things um, my wife used elance when she created a business for a website and, and to elance and right now upwork mm-hmm. it can be great for those sorts of things i struggled with finding an executive assistant never really worked out i found a good one through a friend but not with some remote sure. um, you know, like anything else, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but you least gotta give it a shot. Like it's it rarely works on the first try. So you just gotta keep going for it. Sure. Would
0: you would you I mean, so so what you're saying with, with your business, you're 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 effectively an outsourced sales team. Or for software usually like tech software companies. Software companies. Would would you yeah. advise or do you think it's probably a good choice for most companies to maybe consider hiring a an outsourced sales division to help develop
1: leads or um, I'd say yes if they're careful about it mm. so the thing is outsourcing whether it's software or sales or lead gen, whatever it is can work really well when you you kind of have a plan you know what you want and you're not just looking for a, a quick fix or silver bullet so our specialty is for companies that want to prospect in the United States so there'd be companies like say um, there's a company in Europe, they want to get into the North American market, but it'd be, it's, really, it's hard and risky to hire a new team for overseas. So we can kind of get them started in a much less risky way. But if they expect us to kind of like wave a magic wand and figure everything out for them, it doesn't work. Like they have to be prepared to really work with us hand in hand on who's the target customer and what's the messaging and who should we, like we have a system and infrastructure but it doesn't mean they can just hire us and never and not do anything. Yeah. So it's outsourced to make outsourcing work. And it's not, for us, we don't call it outsourcing because it's really kind of building and managing a remote team for you because they really should feel like your people just in a different location. Yeah. Um, it, it takes probably more work than people realize. It takes often more time uh, than they realize. But of course, the payoff can be great. And it's not for everyone. I think for outbound prospecting, what we encourage people are, is you know, if you want to do it and you don't have the management bandwidth to hire your own team, like hiring your own team, if you're a venture-funded fu- venture company, hiring your own team is usually the way to go. Yeah. It's like the best long-term solution. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of companies, if they have the desire and the management bandwidth to hire and manage people the right way. Sure. If you don't have the management bandwidth, a lot of people just don't. You know, if you outsource or use a, a, a partner, like us or other ones who can kind of build and manage a team for you, or there's so many versions of it. That could be a great way to start as whether it's for six months or six years while you kind of get your legs under yourself and you kind of learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah, sure. But it's not some sort of, uh, you know, magic wand that will just fix everything just because you just write a check and you're done. Of course, of course, yeah. No, and I think, that is, I think that's the thing is certainly what
0: I've seen over the years is a lot of people assume that, they you know like telesales over here which is you know, your outbound calling these they just assume that they'll hire them for a campaign and and all of a sudden they'll have loads of sales that's converted and in the bag and as you just say it's it's it's, it's
1: not as simple as that no. yeah it's like um i mean so going back to the impossible book briefly like one of the sections i actually really most happy with is it's part five, there's seven parts, and part five is called do the time. And each part has a painful truth, and this one is that it's gonna take years longer than you want. So I just think in general, a lot of, like where a lot of initiatives go wrong, whether it's with content marketing or outbound prospecting, is management often has unrealistic expectations on how fast results are gonna happen. Sure. Because everyone sees all the all the articles on like fast results. Because that's the ones that get published, yeah. but don't, doesn't get published. There are all the other companies where the most of the time there's like a slow grind over 18 months that is kind of more typical. So if you're building an outbound selling team, it's probably more like 18 months to kind of whatever the, the revenue goal is you're thinking of, that's probably more fair than three months. Yeah. For inbound market, you know, it just it takes way longer than people uh like expectations are just off. Sure.
0: Is 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 do you think that the expectation is linked to the the need more than so so what I'm trying to say there is do you think it's because they've got themselves into a little bit of a financial stress where they think that this is a quick fix?
1: Yeah. I mean, how many people are able to make like an 18 month investment? Mm. It just, people usually don't think that long. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of happy times people kind of justify it with a shorter time frame. is a way just to kind of get it started Right. and like software. I mean, that can take, so I think it's, it can be, Hey, we need it sooner. We also just want it sooner. It's kind of a mix of impatience and need and, just a lack of experience with that area, instead of knowing how long it really takes. um You know, it's so common. It's not anyone's fault. It's just it's, it's so common. And I think that what we like to do is try to be really honest and direct with our clients. For example, or even in in books, just say, "Look, this is how long can things can take. Yeah, it could happen faster, but be prepared for it to take this long. Like it could be eighteen months. Things could happen. You know, there's always this range." and you know the joke in our company is um we have a project and the ceo is saying it's been three months like where's the revenue and we ask well how long is your sales cycle six months okay so if your sales cycle is six months and it takes it's going to take you know at least four to six months to build some pipeline you're probably looking at at least closer to a year before you see some real revenue from this kind of thing yeah so but that emotionally, they don't, they don't like that. It makes logical sense, but not, they just like, they want the revenue because that's kind of that desperation. Uh, often like a, so part of it, game. yeah. I mean, so part, part of it really is an education as well. A lot. Yeah. why so we, we just redid our, we just came up with our company mission because of this too, which is to educate the world on how to grow a company yeah. because of like, especially for what we do, education is so a part of everything. Like, the books and clients and expectations and it really is a fundamental thing of what we do is just educate um, everybody as much as we can. So let's just, we're just on the, the start of that. Absolutely really wonderful. What, um, what would you say is the most common
0: problems businesses are facing with regards to their sales, their process, the journey,
1: et cetera. Um, I think the most common problem is they haven't nailed a niche. Right. That's generally the most common reason people struggle to grow. And that can also be a problem when they're for bigger companies. Because the thing is, if you're a Red Hat, and Red Hat this call has this, a, a product page with like 40 products.
2: Mm.
1: So it's not that Red Hat hasn't nailed a niche. It's more of like, I'm a salesperson. And I have so many products, I'm not sure what to focus on. Yes. I haven't nailed kind of my personal niche and how I'm going to connect what I sell to a buyer who needs it. So it's really more of this, how do you, with all these options, how do you connect? So that's usually the most common problem. The second is they haven't specialized their sales teams or yeah. done it far enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll say a common, uh, boob, a common problem is they say, oh, we've hired SDRs, right, and sales development reps. They're like junior salespeople who work with and support the, the account executive or closers, but they're still having these junior salespeople, the SDRs, do you both respond inbound leads and do prospecting? No. That's a, you have to have prospectors who only prospect separate from any of the inbound leads that come in. So um, those are really two, the two most common issues and set, fundamental ones, and that's why they're at the very beginning of the impossible book.
0: Sure. Where, where, where's the best place for them to prospect? Is it just going to be just
1: outbound calling, or, I mean, would you...? Um. Usually, so you know, it's hard, you know, between calling, emailing, and LinkedIn. So, if it's a B2B company, those are like the big three still. Mm -hmm. And even in Europe, right, with GDPR, email is still big, calling is still big, Mm -hmm. LinkedIn is kind of not states yet. The the businesses, depending on the business, they might focus on one more than others, and depends on your market. Yeah. Right. If you're selling to small businesses, you're going to have to use more of the phone. Bigger businesses, the more email, LinkedIn.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So those are the big three. Now, there's lots of companies. Like We have a client who's in the restaurant, sells restaurant to restaurants. They do a lot with Instagram. So it comes back to knowing your customers. Who are the customers, your, your ideal ones, who need you the most?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where are they more responsive? What do they care about? And that's the place to go. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, how, how much
0: do you think um is is the mindset that gets in the way
1: uh probably a lot of it most of it yeah <laughs> yep. yeah and then so for me like one of my things i struggle with now and have been for all is busyness uh just so many things to juggle right big family business and moving over overseas plus my wife has her own ideas and projects so for you know, for a couple of years she's really been doing her own a lot of her own things um still like holding down the fort and so it's really challenging like i said it's like how do i cut through all these things that feel like they do need to happen and oftentimes they do to carve some space out for myself to feel like i have a sanity check or to do, go exercise and things yes so that's like that, that still comes back to mindset am i actually really busy for good reasons yes but it's ultimately like my mindset that kind of determines how I set aside my time for myself or what do I do? Yes. So the one to is it's all mindset, but um, yeah. I think two things, the older I get, I feel like the less I know. So <laughs> yeah. I think anyone, anytime you can see yourself and what kind of be really honest with what you're good at and what you're not. Like no one can be great at everything. Mm. So that's why for me I do a lot of partnering because I'm not great I'm great at some things, not at others. Um I tend to work well with partners who can help bring some structure and they're better at like spreadsheets and operational things. And um, you know, I'm a little more of like in my business, I'm more the visionary person. My partner's more like the the operator, yeah, uh, ex- execution person. Mm-hmm. It's a good fit. Mm-hmm um so i think anytime you can find a team or part of that complements you and can focus on the things you're not good at that's for me that's just it's fundamental that's really how i do everything is with good partners whether it's at home or at work do you do you think that i mean is that is that an
0: american mindset that you know partner up do things because i think that like over here certainly it's it's very much get your head down and get on
1: is it? Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know. I don't have as much experience with, with the you know, people open to partnering odd or, or mindset here. I know that some of the people I've met through the sales scene in conferences and you know, there's a guy like James Ski in London and so far I've been pretty open just to like partnering conversations. But I'm not in tune yet with like the, day, the, the daily cult, sales culture, daily business culture yet in mm. the UK or Europe. Sure. Oh, yeah what um what's been What's been
0: the biggest lesson then in your in, in your journey so far? what would you say is the biggest thing that you've learned
1: um, I think just like how fear at least for myself can stop people or or myself from just going for things that should be gone for yeah. whether it's um, making money, whether it's like having family, whether it's uh, going on trips. Mm. Um, how a feeling of like oftentimes a lack of money or time limit us. So you know, I think I would have anyone do this exercise, which is kind of create this list of like things to do before I die. Yeah. Right. Or you know, a lot of us we we tend to ignore these whispers that we've got. Like you know, this really subtle thought like, wow, could I should I paint a painting or I want to go travel? Or um we've kind of kind of learned over the years to ignore them because we're not practical but relearning how to listen to those whispers of around like maybe doing art or guitar or maybe starting a business is important. And like I'll give you one example, like 15, and more than 10 years ago, I, I was kind of, had never really done art. And I just kind of felt like, hmm, playing around with crayons, I to this thing around with art and crayons. And I started doing that. And I ended up just having fun doing different kinds of sketching and did all the art so I've done all the art for the books I've done yeah um, I haven't done much for a while because just like mental overload but it's something that just kind of came out of nowhere doing hand-drawn art that a lot of people really loved sure and just kind of listening to the little whispers and just how did
0: it make you feel I mean did, did you feel different as a result of that did you feel
1: more connected more fulfilled um it's hard to say I know that when I was doing art and sketches it definitely felt good to, come, to um, come up with different ideas and I did not like a lot of but when I came through one that I really liked it was like you know like a like a breakthrough mm-hmm. it's like okay now yeah, this is great uh, like I really felt like a, that creation where you also are proud or in, or like the thing you've created at some point because there's lots of times I've created things where it's just like this is terrible um, in fact, one of the things I did last year was I started doing some Bob Ross paintings. Have you ever heard of Bob Ro- Bob Ross? I'm not familiar, now. So in the States, um, he was a very famous painter in the 70s, I think, on TV. And he had this, he has been known for this big Afro. Anyone in the States who's more than, I don't know, like 30, maybe 30 or 40 would know him. This big Afro. And he always talked about, I'm going to paint some happy little trees. And he'd have this half hour show where in half an hour he'd um, paint this amazing outdoor pa- you know painting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he just would like go dip, 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 and it just be like this amazing tree. Like, how did you do that? But it turns out he's got some simple techniques and things. And basically his show was kind of teaching how to do this. He's like, mm-hmm. um so you know I found a YouTube video Bob Ross and I got some paint and I just just for fun, I did some I did three paintings. And um, I know like during the it's interesting during the painting process, Let's say it would take me two hours. So it might take him 20 minutes. For me, it's like I'm at it for most of the time at the painting, like, oh, that looks weird. I'm like criticizing it. in the very end, I kind of touch it up and it would come together like, oh wow, it really worked out. <laughs> I yeah. feel like for me, that is a lot of this process of books and art, which is a lot of it during the process doesn't feel very good. Like, oh, this is no good. I don't like this. this is fine. But at the very end, when I pull it together, I'm like, oh, okay. So kind of learn to some extent that um, a lot of us and hesitate to create things because we judge it. Like I judge it. Like oh, I'm just any good. and I stop myself from creating things and having ideas. But if I can just kind of keep going and get through it, um, you you got to go through the, through the ugliness to get to the stuff part where it feels good. Yeah. I know that's I think, pretty common with creators.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, that is really testament to everything that we've just been talking about for the, the last 60 minutes or so isn't it is that you can try and model your way through but nothing is the same as hiring an expert to do the job or to certainly educate you how to do it right whether that's building your sales team whether that's coaching you whether that's pushing you and mentoring you you can try and find it out yourself
1: but you'll save time and get better results if
0: you if you follow someone who knows what they're doing
1: if you can find someone that you can, yeah, trust and help you, yeah, whether it's a boss, whether it's a, a coach, whether it's a mentor, whether it's, you know, Bob Ross, you know, yeah. someone on a video. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw this quote, which is, "If you think an expert's expensive, try hiring an amateur." I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really good. Cool. I mean, it's been, it's been
0: wonderful. I've really, I mean, there's been some, some of the stuff you talked about there today. I mean, the, the seeds, the nets, the spears. I love that. That's I've never heard yeah. that before as well. That's is that is that is that a creation that you've come up with? Is this a, yeah, that was, yeah. uh, and there's a, there's a little sketch with that too. Yeah, it's really good. Your sketch as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I yeah. is, is there, is there anything that, that I've not asked you what you think would bring soup, like super value
1: to, to the listeners? No, I mean, um, I would just probably leave with, I would, whether you call it a cliche or not, which is if you do have a family, um, you know, this is where I think every parent struggles with like, am I working too much? Should I just do it with my kids? And but um, it's like, you know, just when you're with your family, be with them. When you're working, just work. Yeah. yeah. If you need to work to support the family, you're still that's family time. Like if I need to travel mm-hmm. and uh, it's more about the quality of the time when you're with them, not the quantity. If you have to be, if you're time limited. I love it. Yeah. So and then you're not ultimately like when you're older, you're not gonna care about like your work stuff, it it's important. And it feels good. Um, so, an instance, so, which is important for you, but you know, when you're older, as you get older, what are you going to remember? Not so much about the work, but you'll remember all the times with the people who you're close to, which could be people in, on your team. Yes. But if you have a family, it's probably them, yeah. hopefully them. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you're left yeah. with at some point.
0: Yeah, totally. Experience. I mean, absolutely wonderful. Where can people find out more about what you do and, and, and more about you and
1: the book and your business? Sure. Uh, well, the PredictableRevenue.com is the site for our business, right? Building sales teams. Mm-hmm. It's got links to books. Uh, I would get and start with the Impossible to Inevitable book, which is on Amazon everywhere, probably other places. Sure. Um, from Impossible.com, that's a little landing page if you want to find out more about it and a summary and things. Sure. So either PredictableRevenue.com for me or bit uh, consulting and remote team building. Uh, from impossible.com for the best book to start with for an entrepreneur or someone who's looking to grow faster. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well,
0: as we always do, we'll, we'll put the links into this and we'll link out to you on all them as well. And Great. you know, again, it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been fascinating. I really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being. Yeah, I Yeah, know. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, brilliant.
2: Thank you.